You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Once again, I'm a little upset because Pastor, when he grabs the mic, he's always preaching my sermon before I come up here. <laughs> but I appreciate it. Uh, it's encouraging. It's encouraging. Listen, when he was talking, I don't know if you heard, but he was talking about strategy. He was talking about a game plan to think about what it is that you want to do in these next couple of months, in these next future, in, in, in the next couple of days, next couple of weeks, next couple of months, next couple of years. Um, I had a conversation with Minister Helen uh, about outreach. And um, every single time I think about outreach, I, I, I don't get scared. I get, I get anxious in a good way because I think about the people that, that when you go out and you lay hands and you pray for them and you're able to even, you're probably able give them a word and speak into their life, how blessed they are and how, how much they can walk away with. And then you also think about those people that completely deny you. <laughs> they completely say, I want nothing to do with you. I don't care about God. You guys are a bunch of animals. Because, you know, you do get that. Um, but at the same time, you know that you planted a seed. You know that you try to do the right thing before the Lord, and you know that you're trying um, to change somebody's life. And some people will receive it. Some people won't receive it. Amen? But the main thing that I, that I get when, 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 um, when we go out and we do evangelism is that there's a plan and there's a purpose. Look to your neighbor and say, there's a plan and there's a purpose. And uh, I, rem- I don't know, you know, back in the day when I was, you know, in the, in the street living my wildlife, um, before Minister Julio started his Bible study, um, and he was inviting my friends to come to his Bible studies in the basement. Before that happened, I remember that there was a gentleman that I was, you know, I was his pharmacist, for the lack of a better word. I don't want uh, here we go. Here we go. Condemnation. For there is no condemnation in the kingdom of God. Right away, they judged me, Pastor. Right away. Give me a chance. Come on, guys. So, you know, I was his pharmacist. I was a farmer. And, uh, you know, we grew plants where we were from. And uh, they're really good plants, by the way, but they're, they're horrible for Christians. Um, and um, I, re- I remember that he came up to me, right? And at the time, I was so closed up to God, you know, because I just, I thought that the people that went to church were weird. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really see, you know, what was the purpose of going into a building and, you know, praising. I didn't really understand all of that at the time. But I remember that as I was, you know, handing him over his, his fresh herbs, um, for his tea, um, he, he said to me, he said, listen, out of everybody that's out here, you're the only one that talks to me. You're the only one that really cares about what's really going on in my life. I don't know if you're doing it just because, you know, I'm, I'm handing you something over, but I just want to say that God has a plan for you. <laughs> God has a plan for you. And I remember that as I was giving him his tea, I was sitting there, and I, and I really thought about what he was saying because I remember around the time we had a lot of drama in, in the neighborhood. There was just a lot of stuff going on. And we, we was at the point where we had to be doubled up. You couldn't stand in the corner by yourself. It just couldn't happen. So we had to be doubled up. So I remember when we did this, my boy was right there. You know, rest in peace. He, he passed away a couple years ago. You know, he got shot in the car, you know, drinking his tea. So I remember that he was there. And I remember that as the guy left, we turned to each other and said, man, if we wasn't in the hood, what would you be doing? And I said, I really don't know. 
But all I know is that he just told me that God said he has a plan for me. So whatever it is, God's got a plan. And I remember we started laughing and we went about our business. But what stuck to me again was the fact that the guy said that God has a plan. Now, I don't know where the guy is at now. I don't know what he's doing in his life. You know, I don't know what's going on in his life, but I just got to say that even though there was sin involved, there was still grace involved. There was still ministry going on. And, and, and fast forward a couple of years, I wish he could see it now. I, I wish that he could see that what he planted actually grew up to be a pretty good tree. You know, that's why I tell people that even though somebody's going through something tough in their life, even though somebody's going through a situation and they might be going through a circumstance, don't count them out. Speak life. Don't speak death. Speak life. Especially around the summertime. Because, you know, in the wintertime, people are doing hibernation. And the summertime is when you see the real people come out. <laughs> Fast is like, yeah, <laughs> it's true. Because he knows what I'm talking about. It gets tough around this time. But just say, God's got a plan. Listen, God's plan over your life is better than your plan. Not only is it better than your plan, it's better than the plan that somebody else has for you. Because God's plan is God's plan. And sometimes that plan doesn't make any sense. Isn't that true? When you think about Aaron, right? Aaron was like the right hand of Moses. And he was supposed to be the one that goes up to God. And gives God all the prayers and all the, the problems that the people have. But do you remember when Moses went up to the mountain to pray? And do you remember what Moses came back down from the mountain to? <laughs> For those of you who don't know, the people <laughs> of Israel were dancing around a golden calf. <laughs> and they, they were in their birthday suits, y'all. <laughs> they were in their birthday suits. We're talking about Aaron. <laughs> The one that's supposed to go before the Lord. You see, if, if you were, you, you have a lot of people that work for you. If, if one of the people that work for you, if you was to come back to your building and you see everybody in your building dancing around the boiler room with no clothes on, what would you do to that person that you put in charge? <laughs> I mean, listen, I'll tell you what he'll do. Pastor will go very calm and quietly and And tell him a thing or two about himself, amen, in a nice godly way, amen, because our pastor is awesome. But what I'm trying to say is that sometimes God calls people that are a mess, that have some issues. And, and we have to be able to love them through those issues, amen? But just know that when you have a mess, when you think about this building, right now you're standing in a beautiful sanctuary, this thing looks awesome. Now, I don't know if you remember when pastor, when we was in... The other church, when pastor showed the pictures of the building before, it, it was this. What did it look like? Jesus, it was a mess. And I remember he was in the front. He was like, man, we're going to have bright gold walls. We're going to have some purple in the back. You know, we're going to have a nice little theme in the back. We're going to have lights and a pulpit, and we're going to have a sanctuary on the side. And he was saying all that, but when you look at the picture in the middle of his process, it looks like a mess. 
And even though, thank God, we have a man with a vision, it's hard to stand alongside somebody that has a great vision, especially when they're looking at something that's still a mess. So what do people do normally in a situation like that? They get discouraged. They start to talk bad about that person. They get afraid. They start wanting to quit. They start wanting to do different things. Because what, 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 what you don't see doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It just means that you're not really looking at it in the right lens. It's not saying that this wasn't going to be a beautiful church. It was just saying that it was in a process. And some of us right now are in a process. And the process might not look perfect. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to trust it because it will eventually look not perfect, but good. Now, there's a Bible verse that backs this up. God is wanting to make your message. He's trying to make a message out of your mess. God wants to make a message out of your mess. Don't you notice that when when you go through something tough, God uses it in the future? How many of you guys ever, you know, the reason why I could go outside and evangelize is because I understand those people. Now, you put me in a different neighborhood, somewhere in the suburbs, you lost me. Because the way that I'm going to approach them is not the way that, (laughs) but you put me in my right element, boom, I explode. So you put me on Southern Boulevard and the Bruckner with the people with the cane. And Nate is, poof, I'm operated to perfection. <laughs> I'm going to move with perfection. But you put me somewhere different, maybe like Florida, Pine Hills, somewhere, woo, extravagant, Beverly Hills. And I come at them like, yo, everything good? Right? They're like, um, excuse me, sir? Um, no, this is not the time for that. And so sometimes my mess has become my message. The reason why I can relate to the neighborhoods, the reason why I can relate to the urban, the reason why I can relate to younger folk or even older folk is because they understand the struggle. And I understand where they're coming from. But one of the things that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to expand a little more. I'm trying not only to touch the neighborhoods, but I'm trying not to develop. See, because God's got a plan. You know, so I'm trying to be able to touch different areas. So I'm trying to be a little more uh, educated, a little more calm, a little more peaceful, and and more approachable. Because then I could be effective on different levels. Then I can can only touch the hood, but I could touch, you know, the the, the other people that, that, you know, have a a blessed life, but they're going through some turmoil. But at the end of the day, I got to find a way to get my message to them. Because even though I'm from the hood, doesn't mean I have to stay in the hood. Just because they're from the rich world doesn't mean they have to stay there either. You understand? So we got to be able to to evolve and to merge and to touch everybody because it's important. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this message was because, you know, I coach basketball and I understand what it's like to have a plan. And I also understand what it's like to have a plan when you're going into the game and your plan just completely... Dismantles. What do you do then? What do you do when you thought you had it all together? What do you do when you thought that everything was going to be okay, your life was going to be on point, and all of a sudden now you got a hiccup in the road? What do you do then? I tell my players, listen, don't get discouraged. We just got to find a way. 
Touch your neighbor and say, we got to find a way. Don't get discouraged. Don't, don't, let, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't, be, don't do anything. We just got to find a way. Find a way to make it happen. The Bible verse that I'm going to use is in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. It says, therefore, judge nothing before it's time. Unless the Lord comes, who will both bring the light, the, the, will bring to the light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from the Lord. Now, the point that I want to focus on today, and I'm only going to talk for a little bit, is therefore judge nothing before it's time. Let that marinate for a little bit. Judge nothing before it's time. People love to judge you before you're finished. <laughs> People love to down talk your ability, love to down talk your possibility, your promises, your technique, your talent, your focus. People love to bring that down. The enemy will love to stop you before you make it. People will love to hold you down before you're able to become who you're called to be. People love to judge you before your time. Why is that? Why is that? You see it all the time in baseball or in basketball and sports in general. When you give somebody too much, too quick, and then you judge him, and boom, his career is over. He probably had the talent, but he had the right opportunity. And what happens is that a lot of times you have the ability to do great things. And then people automatically come in and say, nope, that's not for them. And I remember because I remember when I was like in the fifth grade. I was, I, was trying to, um, I was trying out for my boys' basketball team, you know, and I'm short, and everybody there was tall. Don't worry about it. You're good. You're good, man. Everybody there was tall, and I remember I was trying to, I was trying to try out, and I remember when I was going in there, I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make all of my layups. I'm going to make all of my jump shots. I'm going to play the hardest defense, and I know I'm going to outwork everybody. So when they're telling people to run suicides, that means go back and forth and sprints and stuff like that, I'm going to do it the hardest. Right? They got to pick me. <laughs> so now we're doing this tryout, and I'm doing all of this stuff, and I'm doing it to the best of my ability, and then all of a sudden now the day of the cuts come. And I remember, I remember watching clearly, the dude next to me was not running faster than me. As a matter of fact, I made it from point A to point B faster than he did, and I saw it. And then every single time I finished, I just looked at the coach for acknowledgement. I was like, you didn't see that? I just beat him. And then I remember when I went to go shoot that layup, I made the layup, like a nice little finger roll. They call it jelly now, like when you jelly. Whatever. So I remember when I did the jelly, right? It went right over people's heads like, jelly, what are you That's in a sandwich. No, it's like a it's real thing. It's, it's real. And I remember when I did it, I remember I looked back to the coach and I was like. And then, you know, when you want something so bad, you try to like start conversations with them. What do you think I could do better? And they're like, just keep going. You're doing great. So I'm like, oh, I got a chance. And I, I go back in the line like, yo, he said I was doing great. Like <laughs> he said I was doing great. And I remember I, I kept doing that, kept doing that, kept doing it. And then the day of the cuts came. And, you know, back in the day, it wasn't like how they did it now, where they just tell you, brother, you cut. They'll, they'll paste the paper on the wall literally all over the school. Thank God for Common Core, man. <laughs> Seriously, everybody's equal now. But I, I remember that 
we walked into the school, and as soon as you walk in, the front door of the school, all the cool guys, you know, with the nice book bags, they had the nice sneakers, and I'm sitting there, you know, I was a little trashy, so I'm, I'm coming up, and I'm like, man, I know I, 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 I really did a good job. Like, I know I worked my hardest. And I remember I looked at the door, and as I look at the door, I'm looking for Medina. There's no Medina. I'm like, so maybe he got my middle name. <laughs> maybe he skipped my last name and put my middle name. I'm not going to tell you my middle name because it's horrible. <sighs> this is recorded. <laughs> maybe next time. Um, first name, Nathaniel. <laughs> All right, I do it, I do it. Oh, man, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? All right, my middle name is Isarami. Hey, that's why I didn't say anything. You see what I'm saying? They're judging me, Pastor. They're judging me. Come on, guys. I don't got a lot of time. But what I'm saying is that I was looking for Nathaniel Isarami Medina. I didn't find the Medina, neither the Isarami. So then I went, maybe they, they, they did Nathaniel. And maybe they just put last name basis. And everybody else had the last name, first name, middle name. But maybe they forgot my first name, last name, middle name. So I look on the list. My name wasn't there. Boom. Now culture shock hits you. Am I not good enough? How many of you guys ever felt that? It might have not been with basketball. It might have been for a position. It might have been even with your own family. Just to just get a little acknowledgement from daddy, a, a smile like, good job. Everybody has felt that before. Everybody has felt that disappointment, that, that frustration, that feeling, that emotion, that, ooh, that hurt. And I remember me going up to the coach during gym class. And like I said, back in the day, it was different. You actually had to wear a gym uniform. And um, I, went up to, I went up to the gym teacher, uh, to the gym, which is the coach. The coach is the gym teacher. So, you know, all the people that made it to the basketball team was literally, like, in my, in, my, in my class. Majority of them. Which made it even worse because as I'm trying to talk to the coach, all of them are in front of him saying, thank you for picking me, thank you for picking me. And I remember, you know, I waited my turn because I was very polite. And um, I went up to him and I asked him, I said, listen, why did I get, get on the team? And I remember him, he looked me straight in the eye, he said, you're just not good enough. So that right there hit me like a ton of bricks. First, I cried, I'm not going to lie. I cried. But then something inside of me a couple of weeks later had to say, is it really true? Am I really not good enough? And around that time, there was these, like, basketball players that came out. They were called M1. It was, like, Hot Sauce and all of these guys. Some of y'all know, but it, there was, like, these mixtape videos that they had of people, like, doing these dribbling moves, right? So I remember that summer when I was going into, it was eighth grade. I was going into eighth grade. No, I was going into ninth grade. I'm sorry. I remember that I practiced those moves day and night, trying to get those moves right. So when I made it to high school, I would not get cut and feel that anymore. And I remember, you know, I was in the, and people was like, yo, what's wrong with him? And I used to like dribble. <laughs> All summer, working hard. <laughs> and I remember that freshman year in high school. Now, I was very short. I just wanted to, just in case you think I'm tall now. Um, I was a little shorter back then. <laughs> very short. And uh, I remember that everybody there was giants. And I remember that when I was trying out, I remember the thing that the coach told me. And the coach said, listen, you're not good enough. And I think this kept playing in my mind. 
and I played harder, and I played stronger, and I tried to do my best, and I worked hard, and I worked hard, and I worked hard. So much so that I made that basketball team. Now, to you guys, that might not be the greatest thing. But you got you, you to gotta be able to understand that sometimes when people are coming against you, you have to counteract it with the ability of saying, I know I could do better. I know I can push myself. I don't have to settle for what that person has said to me, for what that person has done to me, or what this situation is looking like. I know that I can push myself to be greater. I don't have to settle. So when I'm thinking about God's have a plan for me and the fact that they can't judge me before my time, I'm thinking about that incident where the coach made a boo-boo and said I wasn't going to be good enough. Like, think about it. Who in the gospel felt like that? Who in the Bible felt like they weren't good enough? A lot of them. Moses had the stuttering problem. When you think about Gideon, Think about that, Gideon. The fact that he was the smallest in his crew, the fact that he had the smallest crew, and God still said, listen, I'm going to use you to save the people. Think about David. How many times he had to go and be like, is this really for me, God? And sometimes we ourselves go through that. Sometimes we ourselves go through those things. Sometimes we ourselves deal with those things. And like I said, the hardest part about a plan it's not the plan. It's the execution. The hardest part about the plan, when I give it to my kids, is praying that when they go out on that basketball court, they'll execute it. They'll do the right cut. They'll set the right pick. They'll pass it to the right person. And I'm telling you, if you guys ever coach basketball, you will lose your hair. I already lost some. I'm trying to keep all of it. But think about it. Have you guys ever made a plan for your life? It did not work the way that you thought it was going to work? I told, listen, I, 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 let you, I let you know a lot of truth about me. That I thought I was going to make it to the NBA. And that plan didn't work out. You know, you know how many jobs I thought I was going to get that I didn't get? Like, I, I could have been a correction officer. But I didn't get it. It was, a, it was a goal that I had, but I didn't get it. And maybe it could have been the fact that God was saying, that's not the right path for you. Maybe God stopped that because he knew that something was going to happen that was going to avoid me from being here today. And sometimes we question it. But why are we questioning God's plan over our life? God's plan is better than our plan. It's better than the other plans that people have for you. Because everybody wants to tell you how to live your life. Everybody wants to tell you what to do, how to do it, how you should do it. That's why I appreciate my pastor because he goes, yo, just be yourself. And it's through that being yourself that I'm able to feel free at what I do. I don't have to feel constrained because I'm a little unorthodox the way that I do things. But I know that if I do it the way that they allow me, I feel like I'm going to be a little more effective. So picture me coming up here and just giving you that, 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 that. It probably wouldn't hit you the same than me coming up here and sharing a story. And letting you know how God has moved in my life and what he's done in my life. And that's the same thing for you. You don't have to do it the way that you see it. You can do it the way God is telling you to do it and it'd be okay. Amen. 
Because how do you know? How did Facebook start? It was an idea. How many people probably told them that Facebook wasn't going to be what it was? As a matter of fact, I read an article about it. His professor said it wasn't going to be anything. (laughs) You know what's that? For your own teacher to say that Facebook was going to be a disaster, that you shouldn't pursue it, you shouldn't put it out, because the minute you put it out, you're going to lose all your money and you're going to fail. And then now look at where it's at now. People get connected all around the world. You can find family members that you didn't know you had through Facebook. Isn't that amazing? And it's all because somebody decided to stay the course of the plan. Imagine if the lady of the issue of blood would have listened to her finances. Imagine if she would have listened to the doctors. Imagine if she would have let the circumstance that was in front of her stop her from touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Just imagine that. She would have still been in her sickness. She would have still been in her hurt. She would have still been broke. She would have still been going through doctor, through doctor, through doctor to try to find breakthrough. But what happened? She had a desire. She had a plan. She had a focus. And she didn't allow anything to get in her way. And she burst through the scenes and she touched that hem. And guess what? She received the healing and the breakthrough that she was called to receive. I just knocked the plan over. That's breakthrough. But what happened? What, what would Michael Jordan would have done if he, if he would have stood cut his freshman season of college? His own coach said you wasn't good enough. Michael Jordan. His own coach said, you are not good enough to play a college-level basketball. And then now look at Everybody that comes up in the NBA now, they try to compare him to the one that got cut in college. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? But what happened? He trusted the plan. Think about it. Think about it. Everybody, LeBron James, they try to compare him to that. They they try to compare everybody to to Michael Jordan. But he is the G-O-A-T. He's the only one in NBA history to ever go six NBA finals straight and never lose not one time. Who does that? Because he didn't allow people to speak into his life and him believe it. And this is why evangelism is important. Because there's people out there that right now have a cloud over their head, over things that people have spoken in their lives. There's people in here right now that have a cloud, that believe that they're nobody, that believe that they're not good enough, that believe that who they're called to be and what God has showed them, they, it, it can never happen. That's a lie from the enemy. And what we need to do is encourage more, is to love more, is to hug more, is to show more appreciation for one another. Because at the end of the day, I know that we could all be great. I know that we could all be accomplished. I know that we could all be blessed. Imagine a church full of millionaires. (laughs) That neighborhood would be blessed. And it's possible. It's a possible thing. Just the other day, I was in a training with Mike. We, We went for a lifeguard training. And I remember I was telling him, I said, listen, I don't know if I still got it in me. He's like, yo, don't worry about it, Nate. It is going to be good. You'll see. (laughs) Mind you, he is not a minister. He's not ordained. Neither am I. But the fact was that he spoke life into me. 
whoo, man. Mike spoke life, and his mad calm demeanor was like, hey, this is going to be good, Nate. You're going to see. Hey, this is going to be all right. We're going to go in that water, and we're going to swim. Good, 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 good. Hey, this is going to be good. Listen, so we doing the lifeguard certification, the swimming part, yo, he killed it, right? The CPR part, we both had to help each other out. Have you guys ever been to training how to save an infant? Jesus Christ, I thought I was going to kill a baby. They told me to hold the neck, spin it backwards, tap it like you like the movie. Have you ever liked the movie before really, really good? I'd be like... (laughs) And then they told us to turn it around and then hit two fingers right in the chest and boom, boom, push down. I'm like, I'm going to kill a baby. It was scary stuff. So I told Mike, listen, you look out for me, I look out for you. We look out for each other. Kingdom connection. And we walked out of there, lifeguard certified. Hey. Lifeguard certified, baby. We Baywatch now for Calvary. We Calvary Baywatch. I don't know if that's the name, Michael Keaton. What's the name of the main guy? What's the name of the main guy? David Hasselhoff, and I'm the other guy. Who's the other guy? That's a new one. Get out of here. You can tell he's young pastor. Talk about Dwayne Johnson. He don't know the real Baywatch. With Pam and Anderson Lee, hello. God forgive me. Lord, get focused, Nate. Focus, 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 focus. Lord, have mercy. (laughs) oh man they (laughs) pray for me pastor pray for me (laughs) I'm sorry I'm just having fun guys Um, there's always going to be a hiccup along the way always in life you're always going to get into a place where you're like "Uh." it just happens it just happens think about it Moses killed somebody God still used them God still used them. David slept with Bathsheba. God still used them. Peter, he had a couple of issues. <laughs> Pastor said, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. You know what's funny? Every single time I meet somebody in the hood, I'll be like, listen, if you were sick of paying somebody in the gospel, who would it be? He'd be like, yo, Peter, yo, I'm Peter, I'm Peter. Because Peter was just that one guy that you just like, oh, Lord, you cannot be saved, man. Like, there's something wrong with you. Peter had a couple of issues, y'all. Peter, first and foremost, his mouth was crazy. He cursed a lot. You ever had that one friend that just curses all day, every day? How are you going to point to your wife, man? That's supposed to stay in your house. <laughs> He's like, my wife, man, my wife. <laughs> Brandon's, pointing at, Brandon's pointing at the pulpit. He's like, I know him. <laughs> He's pointing at me. Oh, well. Um, Peter cut somebody's ear off. How many friends you know cut somebody's ear off? <laughs> or just cut somebody? Or would cut somebody? <laughs> Peter had issues, man. Peter denied Jesus three times. And you know what's funny? The thing about Peter is that he told Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus had to rebuke him. Because sometimes we know we want to do things the right way, but it's not God's plan. And we're going to mess up. But the point about Peter is that God came back to him and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love my people? He says, 
yes, I love you, Jesus. Like, why do you keep asking me that? He says, so then go out and preach my gospel. Go out and get these people saved. And what did Peter do? He did exactly that. So sometimes you want to judge somebody quickly, but you don't know the finished product. You don't know what God is doing in the midst of. That's why I don't judge people. That's why when anybody comes around me, it's love, it's embrace. Because I don't know who I'm talking to. They might be the next president of the United States. I don't know. The thing about it is they do become the president of the United States. I want to be their friend, so I don't have to pay taxes. Listen, even people that were higher up, Bill Clinton made a mistake in the office. But he's still Bill Clinton. When he comes around, people listen. Kobe Bryant had a couple mistakes. Mm-hmm. What was in the novella Betty La Fea? Betty La Fea made a lot of mistakes. What I'm trying to say is that people will always have a weapon against you. People will always have that trump card that they could pull up against you. But how many of you know that if a God is for you, who could be against you? And that's the thing about it is that you have to have that level of confidence, not only within yourself, but also with the God that you serve. That he will protect you no matter what. That he's going to love you no matter what. You're going to make a mistake. Pick up yourself. Do not stay there. Do not stay in the mistake. God is the God of today, tomorrow, and forevermore. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and finisher of our faith. God is to be worshipped. God is to be praised. God is good. When you are going through a process, you got to look at somewhat what Paul went through. When Paul was saved radically, Paul was known for killing Christians. Paul was known for not only killing Christians, but really torturing them and like really, really like messing them up. And the Christians knew about that. They knew about it. And they were scared of him. He held weight. And what happened was that when he was radically saved on the road to Damascus, nobody wanted to deal with him. Nobody wanted nothing to do with Paul. At the time, his name was Saul. Nobody. Have you ever been in that place where nobody wants to deal with you? How many of you guys know what it's like to feel alone? Especially when you're going through something. <laughs> Woo! That's a tough one. Have you ever been in a place where you want to be loved, but everywhere you go, nobody wants to deal with you? This is what Paul was feeling. Number one, Paul used to have vision. When God touched him, he didn't have any more vision. So now, not only can you not see, there's nobody around you that they, 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 you can't trust them. So you're blind, you just got saved, you don't know what's going on, and then you got to trust somebody's voice to guide you to where you need to be. And the point that I'm getting is that you always need, and I, I want to say his name right, I always mess his name up, Ananias in your life. Forgive me, you always need an Ananias in your life. God spoke to him and said, listen, I need you to go find Paul. And I need you to take care of him. I need you to teach him and train him up because he's going to do the work that I tell him to do. 
He's going to know what it's like to work in my kingdom now. And you always need somebody in your life that's going to help you through struggles. That's going to help you through tests and trials. And God used Ananias. Who is your Ananias? Who is the person that you can go to? Who is the person that can help you stay on track? They they can help you stay in God's plan and God's purpose. Because you're always going to need that. Because there's going to be times in your life where you're going to hit a hiccup, where you're going to hit a speed bump, where times that you thought you, like, like I said, when you thought you had it under control, and now all of a sudden your life is not in control. Who are you going to have beside you that's going to lead you in the ways that God wants you to go? David had Jonathan. Batman had Robin. Paul had Ananias. Jesus had his disciples. You're always going to need somebody to battle up with, to knuckle down with, to help you out through your process. You don't want to do this alone because that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to literally isolate you. That's what the Bible says, never forsake the gathering of the saints. Sometimes in our life we have pressure. Pastor was just talking about that. Sometimes the pressure, we don't do it on our own. Sometimes the pressure just comes. Sometimes things get difficult. Sometimes things get hard. Sometimes you want to quit and give up. Sometimes you just want to let go. And you don't want to deal with it. But right now is not the time to stay quiet. Right now is not the time to stay calm. Right now is not the time to settle. Right now is a time where you have to push, where you don't give up, where you don't settle, where you're looking to do effective work. Right now is the time. I read this quote that really touched me. It said, you're allowed to scream, you're allowed to cry, but you are not allowed to give up. It touched me. It touched me because... If you have to yell, if you have to get into your prayer closet, if you have to scream, if you have to get into a place of frustration, you're allowed to do that, but you're not allowed to give up. You're not allowed to run. Because what is that going to prove? It isn't going to prove anything. And the thing about it is that if you stay the course, you will be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But if you don't stay the course, you won't be able to see anything. You'll just be going in a circle. So yeah, get upset. Scream, yell, get frustrated. But don't give up. Don't stop going. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop asking God. Don't stop. Don't stop praying for your husband. Don't stop praying for your wife. Don't stop praying for your family, your neighbors. Don't stop praying for that job. Don't stop. Get frustrated about the process, but don't stop. Don't quit. Minister Mickey yesterday, I mean last week, she was talking about time. And I was sharing a little bit about it. And time is a funny thing because time doesn't say where we're at right now. A lot of times when you look at where I've I've started and where I am now, time wouldn't be able to show you that like right away. 
It takes time to kind of see that, right? Like time just, if I can't look at Elder and say, yo, I know exactly where you're going to be at 10 years from now. I can't do that. I have to literally stay with him throughout the process so I can see exactly how he's going to develop. Right? And when I think about these things, and when I think about this, I think about how David first started. Jonas, come here. Guys, come here. Come on. Come, 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 come to the front. Come on. I don't got a lot of time. Come, 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 come. Al, come here. Come. You, come. No, you, you. You, yeah, come. Come. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I ain't trying to go up there. I don't know what you guys are about to do. Just line up. Just line up right here in the front. Right here. Stand right here. You guys are so timid. Are you men or what are you? So when you think about, I was thinking about this in my bathroom, and I was thinking about, yo, man, when David was in the fields working, God already saw where he was going to be. And even when he called the man of God to go anoint the new king, the man of God didn't even know that it was going to be David that he was going to be anointing. Not to mention that he got into the flesh. And he, he looked at the lineup. Because when I look at this lineup, if I'm looking for a king, I'm not looking at the little boy. Let's be honest real quick. When, when you look at this lineup, what's the first thing that goes on your mind? What is this boy doing here at the end? We got nothing but men here. And it's funny because you know that when you're looking for a job, that's the first thing they do to you too? The people are already saying, mm, I don't think he's qualified. Didn't even give you an opportunity to speak. They're already trying to call you out. And what happened was that God had to literally teach his own prophet a lesson about who God is looking for and what he is looking, what is he looking for inside of a person. You see, because when you look at the young man, you don't see the developed work. You don't see the fact that Jonas looks like he could kill somebody with one finger. You don't see the fact that Al got probably like four or five guns on him. You don't see the fact that, you know, he's a baseball player. He could probably kill you with a bat. You don't see the fact that this guy is anointed and could work with computers. You don't see that. The only thing that you see is that there's four men and there's one boy. And if I was to ask you, yo, we need somebody for position. If I was to ask you, we need a savior. We need somebody to come and help our people out. What would be your first round pick? Jonas, right? Because everybody say, Jonas, Jonas, Jonas. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. Because we, we as people are trained and developed to look at things specifically. We're not looking at things from God's perspective. And that's why when you look at certain people, you'd be like, man, this guy can't be saved. Man, this person can't be saved. And that's why when some people look at you, they say you're not good enough. Because they're looking at this. They're not looking at the little boy that's going to grow up and be a king for 40 years straight. They're not looking at that. They're not looking at the fact that all these guys look like they could probably kill Goliath, but the one that could really kill Goliath is the one that look, doesn't look like he could kill Goliath. You understand? The one that did kill Goliath. And a lot of times is that people will want to count you out right away. People want to say that you're not good enough. People want to say that you don't have a purpose, that you don't have something in your life that's worth doing. But at the end of the day is, you are a Goliath killer. 
You are going to be the ones to break the chains and cords of any single destruction that the enemy trying to do in your family or in your generation. And at the end of the day, you need to stop looking, stop looking to make yourself look like this. And don't worry about what you look like. Because at the end of the day, God's plan is what you should look like. God's plan is what's going to take forth in your life. God's plan is what is going to take power in your life. Because at the end of the day, everybody, even men of God, are going to fail to realize that you are blessed, that you're called, that you are chosen, that you're highly favored, that you're going to do amazing things in your life. Even the people that hold the mic might mess up and they might miss it. But God never misses. God is on point. And listen, just because David got anointed didn't mean he became king right away. I remember I sat in that room and Pastor said, listen, David got anointed, then he got anointed again. Then he got anointed again. Then that's when the people was like, all right, he's ready. Because he might have all the talent in the world. But at the end of the day, he has to go through a process. And I'm going to tell him right now, the process might might be easy. It might not be as easy as you want it to be. But the thing about it is if you fight and if you push and you never give up, trust me, God is going to show you amazing things in your life. What's your name? Antonio. Antonio. I wish your name was David. It would have been perfect, but it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But can you understand this a little bit? Can you listen? Because I know I can relate to this. Even when I was in the sixth grade, I could relate to this because I knew what it was like to be in a lineup of people that looked qualified but weren't qualified. And I knew that I had the ability to do it. I knew that I had the strength to do it. I knew that if they gave me the opportunity, I would have done it and I would have done it to the best of my ability. I would have gave them all my heart. But they didn't see it. And that's why you shouldn't judge people before it's time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. I'm getting ready to land the plane. I'm just going to give you four steps on how to help us stay in God's plan. If you want to write them down, write them down. I just got to do this right because Brandon always tells me you always have to have steps so that people can write it down and walk away with something. I'm learning. You see what I'm saying? I'm not just staying in the hood. I'm trying to get out the hood, and I'm trying to bless everybody. I'm trying to do this right. I'm trying to do it right. I'm trying to do it right. The first step is trust God's judgment. Man, if you do anything else in your life, do this right. Trust the judgment. What I mean about that? Trust the process that God is putting you through. Because everybody that is somebody had to go through something. And at the end of the day, where they're at now wasn't where they started. Sometimes you got to start from a low place so that God could bring you to a high place. You got to go through some things so that God can give you the strength so that when you go through something in the future, you know that you can overcome it. You all have to go through a process. Nobody's exempt for that. Nobody's going to be like, don't worry about it. You got to pass a process. You can pass right through. No process. Just finish work. Who does that? When people look to hire you, they look at what? Your resume. What are they looking at in your resume? Why? Because they want to know that if they hire you and they give you all of this money, they want to make sure that you're going to be capable of handling it. Oh, my God. Listen, when God wants to give you something, he wants to make sure that when he gives it to you, you can handle it. He's not going to give it to you too soon or too early. He's going to give it to you right on 
That's why. Trust the judgment of God. Trust the process of God. I give you a Bible verse. For I know the plans I have for you. <laughs> it's right there. We can just read it off the thing together. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Somebody shout amen. amen. Look, that verse right there should get you excited. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. Not that pastor knows the plans. Not that Nate knows the plans. Not that Elder knows the plans. Not that your mother knows the plans. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. And I'll tell you right now, if God has a plan for you, you, you are blessed. <laughs> you are blessed. Because God's plan is ideal. It's, there's no mistake to that. There's no wrinkle to that. It's God's plan. The one that created heaven and earth. <laughs> The one that his roads are all gold. If God has a plan for you, you are blessed. He knows the path that you should take. He has your best interest in heart. Number two, be in prayer. You want to know God's plan for your life? You better communicate with him. Communicate with God. Be in prayer. Be here on Wednesdays. Pack this place on Wednesdays. Talk to God. Be one with God. The Bible verse I have for this one is 1 John 5, 14 to 15. When you pray that God's will be done in your life, God's will will always be done in your life. He will show you the next steps to his plan. Number three, be intentional. Stay committed and stay in love. Be intentional. Stop doing things without intention. Stop being emotional. Stop walking in feelings. Stop thinking that you're doing things just to do it. Do it with intention. So if you're going to do ministry, do it with intention. If you're going to go out there and evangelize, do it with an intention that somebody's going to be saved, that they're going to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they'll be here on Sundays, they'll be here on Wednesdays. Do that with an intention. If you pray, pray with intent. If you worship, worship with intent. If you're seeking God, and seek him with intent. But do it with an intention that you know that you're doing with it with all of your heart and not halfway. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 through 8, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Stay committed. And especially stay in love. Love one another. Seek one another. Help one another. Pray for one another. Help each other out. And number four, and I'm going to end up with this. It says, answer when God calls. If God calls you, answer. Do you know how many times I want to say no? When God says, do something? I'm sorry, I don't care who you are. You don't wake up every day wanting to do things. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you're frustrated. Sometimes you're going through something. And sometimes you just want to say no. But the thing about it is that when you say yes to God, he says yes to you. The Bible says that when you deny God in front of your friends, he'll deny you in front of his father. Jesus will literally deny you in front of his father if you deny him in front of your friends. So answer the call. Answer it. Pick it up. Say yes. 
Look to your neighbor and say, say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Say yes. 